Chicago's Game Day with Fred Newton on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. Six-point lead for Atlanta. Brian takes a snap, fakes it to Freeman, back foot throw, loops it, Jones the catch, touchdown Atlanta. Julio Jones, Ryan was slipping. He well, managed to get enough on it and put the ball in the air for Jones. Chicago's Game Day. Mariota takes the snap, steps up, throws down the middle. There's Decker. Chicago's Game Day with Fred Eubner on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. Well, they went on to win by a digit. Welcome on in. Fred Eubner with you here on a a Sunday morning as we have lots to talk about. A couple of wild card playoff games, and they certainly were wild one way or another with comebacks and poor refereeing and then a uh, leading t- scoring team in the National Football League scoring just 13 points in their playoff game. We got a couple games to preview today. 312-332-3776. That's the number to get to us throughout the course of the day. We'll also get into the Bears uh, coaching search. Your thoughts on that. Um, but it's nice to come in on a Sunday with a lot of football to talk about. And again, not only stuff that happened on the field. Um, well, actually, I guess it did happen on the field. But the damn refereeing. I left here yesterday after I worked with Murph. And I was telling Eric Ostrowski, who's back with me again today, along with Felix Reyes. And I said, you know, I said, we'll have stuff to talk about. There'll be some bad refereeing calls or something like that. Didn't I, Eric? You exactly and, said that, and actually. It, you know, Mike Pereira, the former head of officials, he just goes to town on Jeff Triplett and his crew. So we'll talk about that, too. If you're watching the game, even Al Michaels in the um, in the second game, Al Michaels is saying, or second, no, they were in the first game, weren't they? Al Michaels says, uh, why, why is this taking so long? This should take like two minutes. What's going on here? I don't understand. And yeah, it was some bad, bad officiating. You know, it was the second game. I'm sorry. ESPN did the first game with John Gruden's last game before he returns to the sidelines with the Oakland Raiders. Raiders making it official. The 10-year, $100 million deal for John Gruden. As I said, we will talk about the Bears coaching search as it continues. They get a chance to talk to Matt Nagy. Heck, they could hire him today if they'd like because Kansas City is done in the playoffs. Yeah, they are. It's uh, pretty shocking after a 21-3 to halftime lead against the Tennessee team that didn't have their number one running back. But you know what? Number two did quite well thank you as you saw the kind of game that derrick henry had 156 yards the second most in playoffs by a running back in the tennessee franchise so the they were seven of eight on third downs in the second half marcus mariota with a kneel down the only one that was not converted and yeah it's nice to see tennessee go on nice to see mike malarkey still with a job we'll hear from him also in your phone calls at 312-332-3776. Now, one little note, and this happens every year or so, but there was one little note, and it said, uh, somebody on Twitter tweeted, both teams who rested their starters in the final week of the season lost. Now, it, you can't necessarily say that had anything to do with it, but you know what you can't do? 
you can't say that it didn't. Sometimes any kind of momentum you have and you put your other guys out there, you put Patrick Mahomes out there to be quarterback, uh, you don't play some of your guys. They get out of the rhythm that they had. The Kansas City Chiefs uh, ended up the season winning four in a row. They won their final game, but they had won three straight. And then you rest your starters. I know you don't want a starter to get hurt in the final game, but you know you you can't pamper these guys. You got to let them put them out there. And it's football. And um, as a result. The two teams arrested their guys. Now they have a nice, long, lengthy rest. The Rams, they rested almost all of their starters against the 49ers, and they got blown out by San Francisco in the final game of the season. And just a heads up, uh, Rams, you're going to have the Niners and Jimmy Garoppolo to deal with twice a year. Uh, every year going forward, it appears, as Jimmy G goes to the 49ers. And we will talk a little bit also about the whole Tom Brady thing that happened earlier this week. Tom Brady did talk with Jim Gray. He does it each and every week on the Monday night games, and he did yesterday. So we will hear from uh, good old number 12 from the New England Patriots as they sit back and try to figure out exactly who they're playing. They'll find out later on today because the AFC game, the noon start on NBC, it'll be Buffalo against Jacksonville. If the Bills win, they play New England. If Jacksonville wins, then the Jags will play Pittsburgh and Tennessee will play New England. So we'll keep a close eye on that for you right here throughout the course of the day. We will preview those games. Amos Morrell from uh, NOLA.com will preview the NFC game for us. New Orleans entertaining Carolina at 3.30. And then uh, at 11 o'clock, we'll have Mike Rodak from ESPN NFL Nation previewing that Bills and Jacksonville Jaguars game of all four games this weekend, that's the one I was least interested in watching. So when I get home, we'll see if it's uh, living up to what I thought it was going to be or if it's actually exciting. A couple teams that are uh, in the postseason for the first time in a while for uh, Buffalo, actually the first time since 1999. Um, they had the fifth worst point differential um, in the Super Bowl era. 57. They were minus 57. They get to the postseason. Uh, it looks like they will have um, McCoy running the ball for them. He is expected to go later on today, so we'll keep a close eye on that. We also, during the course of the three-hour show, we also have three four-packs of tickets to give away. Now, I'm going to make it easy on you. If you're listening right now, and I'll mention it a couple more times during the course of the show. But if you're listening right now for a chance to win a four-pack of tickets to the uh, 2018 Progressive Boat Show, uh, the Progressive Boat RV and Sales Show taking place at McCormick Place January 10th through the 14th, you can go to chicagoboatshow.com for more information. But if you'd like to win tickets, if you're the fifth caller the next time and every time during the show that you hear this... If you're the fifth caller at 312-332-3776, you'll win one of those four packs of tickets to the boat show. Not now. The next time you hear that call, we'll hear it play it three times during the show, and the fifth caller each and every time will win a four-pack of tickets. Fred Hubender with you, 312-332-3776. Let's get into some of the games from yesterday. The Kansas City Chiefs, they were 
going like gangbusters out of the gates this year. They won five straight. Then they went one and six. You couldn't figure out what was happening. Apparently at that point, you heard that Andy Reid turned the play calling over to Mike Nagy. And then they won four in a row, including the final game of the season when they rested Alex Smith and they had Pat Mahomes out there. Well, yesterday they had a 21-3 lead. Everything seemed to be going their way. Tyreek Hill... They were throwing to him early. He also dropped like three passes early in the first half. It's amazing. Between Tariq Hill and um, Todd Gurley, I thought Josh Bellamy and Jordan Howard were playing yesterday because I saw drop passes from wide receivers. I saw drop passes from running backs. How about uh, Decker? Eric Decker, who caught a touchdown pass, and we'll hear from him also later on, he dropped one of the easiest passes. I'm sitting on the couch watching the game with my brothers and my nephew. A pass earlier in the game from Mariota to Eric Decker. He's on his knees. The ball is right there. He's got both hands out, and it bounces off his chest and down. It's like, come on. There were so many drop balls yesterday and bad refereeing. It was difficult, but it made for interesting games throughout the course of the contest yesterday. Uh, the Tennessee Titans win 22-21. They become the fourth team to overcome an 18-point halftime deficit. Uh, two of those four, by the way, are against Andy Reid teams. Mariota with a touchdown pass um, to himself. Yeah, he caught a t- his own touchdown pass. Now, I was thinking during that that he was over the line when he threw the ball. Now, the rules say that everything's got to be over the line. The ball, you, every part of you has to be over the line in order for that to be called. So I went back and looked at it. It looked like maybe a toe, maybe an ankle was still on the uh, si- the other li- side of the line of scrimmage. And because of that, it was not called. And it did count Tennessee getting the ball. Uh, and the touchdown, 22-21, the final. Mariota's numbers, 19 for 31, 205, and a couple of touchdowns, including the one to himself. Alex Smith, 24 for 33. He had a good game, two touchdowns, and uh, but you know what? Just not enough. Three drops, as I mentioned, from Tariq Hill, and one of the changing points in the entire game was when Travis Kelsey, the big part of that Kansas City Chiefs offense, when Travis Kelsey went out with a concussion. And you knew he was hurt. You knew he knew he was hurt. You knew he knew that he didn't want anybody else to know. Because as soon as he went down and got rocked, he tried to stand up. And then he started wavering. He looked like he was on a boat. You know, boat show, everything else tying in. He looked like he was on a boat. They pulled him out, took him out, and he was done for the game. And the tight end that came in dropped one or two passes from Alex Smith also. So again, drop passes a key factor of the game yesterday. By the way, Andy Reid only uh, head coach now to lose multiple postseason games by as many as 17 points. The Chiefs, after taking a 14-0 lead, just eight called running plays. That's right, just eight called running plays when you have Kareem Hunt in your backfield. Okay, how does that make any sense? You have a 21-3 lead. Your goal is to eat clock, run the ball, get some first downs, and you've got Kareem Hunt in your backfield. From those eight design run plays, yeah, that was after two nineteen in the first quarter. So over over three quarters, they had eight design run plays. That's just completely awful. I mean, you don't know what the who's calling plays for the Kansas. Oh, 
It's either Matt Nagy or Andy Reid. Now, the reason I think it was Andy Reid calling plays is you saw on the sideline Andy Reid had the call sheet up to his mouth. He was covering his mouth, and you saw him calling in plays. He wouldn't be doing that if Matt Nagy was calling the plays. At least I don't think he would be. It doesn't make any sense or seem to make any sense. So I have a feeling that Andy Reid took the play calling back from Matt Nagy getting into the postseason. Now, if that's the fact, and if that's the case, and we find that out, that's interesting. But also, it maybe leaves Matt Nagy off the hook. And by the way, again, I mentioned it, Matt Nagy is uh, interviewing with the Bears today for the Bears head coaching position. He will be the sixth uh, person to talk to the Bears about that job. So it's funny, I wrote down here today, Kansas City offensive coordinator Matt Ryan. No, not yet. Matt Ryan's still playing for a while. Uh, Matt Nagy talking to the Bears today. So uh, did you did you guys think about that? If you're a Bears fan out there and you're all geeked up and excited about this coaching search, were you thinking about Matt Nagy? And uh, when you saw that, say, well, you know, maybe maybe I'm not that interested. How about the um, Rams? And we'll get to them, you know, full-blown in a second. But 43 yards for Todd Gurley in the first three quarters, okay? You've got Todd Gurley. I know he dropped a couple of passes. They tried to include him a little bit more. But Sean McVay, all we heard was the glorious, glowing things from Sean McVay. 478 total points, leading the uh, NFL in points scored this year, and they managed just 13. Now, I do have to tell you one thing. Well, you know what? I'll hesitate on the Atlanta one. We'll, we'll get to that Atlanta and the uh, um, Rams in just a second. Something I saw that I really liked that I'm hoping the Bears can actually learn from. Uh, tweeted that out again last night also. Uh, Kansas City, three drops. All would have been first downs. That's a killer for you. And also, something that goes forgotten about because of the game because of the score actually two things uh 22 21 the final score harrison butker the kicker for kansas city missed a 48 yard field goal okay he makes the 48 yard field goal they got a little they got a little bit more of a cushion that helps the other thing is the tennessee titans had not tried a two-point conversion all season long that's right. All season long, they had not tried a two-point conversion. What do they do yesterday? They go for a two-point conversion early. And I'm talking about early in the first, or the fourth quarter. Makes no sense. The rule, the rule, kind of the unwritten rule, but the rule is that you go for, you don't go for one that early. If you're going to go for two, you wait, you go later. Unless you're going to go all the time. Okay. There was a, a thing a while back that people, Teams would go for two-point conversions a little bit more. No, you shouldn't. Tennessee did, and at the time, they were unable to to get the two-point conversion, and it made no sense. And as it turned out, it could have come back to hurt them because then they were forced to try a two-point conversion on their second touchdown or their next touchdown. They missed that one, too. So near the end, all that the Kansas City Chiefs needed to do was kick a field goal. Now, if... Tennessee would have just kicked the extra point and kicked the extra point. At the end of the game, they could not have lost on a field goal, okay? Because at that point, the score would have been 24-21 with the two extra points kicked. And then Kansas City, trying to come back, would have had to score a touchdown or go to overtime and then beat the uh, beat um, Tennessee. So that didn't make any sense to me. And we, when you're sitting on the couch watching these games, it's easy how much we're so much smarter than the coaches. Um, 
but that one didn't make any sense. I had my one brother disagreeing with me. Then again, you know, he was talking about fantasy points. Start of the game, very first start of the game. Tariq Hill brings the ball out of the end zone, gets tackled at the 17. There's a penalty. They go back to the 7. Anybody that's listened to me throughout the course of the year with Mongo or anytime I'm doing football conversation, you should never run the football out of the end zone if it's kicked off into the end zone uh, any time of the game. I don't care if four times during the year people return kicks for touchdowns. 98%, and I may be a little off, but a big chunk of the time, most of the time, what happens is as the guy runs the ball out of the end zone, he will never get to the 25. And if he does, there's a really good chance that there's going to be a penalty and it's going to be brought back. Ball's going to be brought back because of a block in the back, a holding call, whatever it is. As it turned out, Tariq Hill and the Chiefs started the first drive, I want to say, in the seven-yard line because Tariq Hill brought the ball out of the end zone. And first of all, did not get to the 25. And so it's silly. And I talked to Bill Polian a couple weeks ago um, from ESPN. He was here, joined us here on ESPN 1000. And he said, it makes no sense. They're giving you a quarter of the field if you just stay in the end zone. And that's exact. what's going to happen eventually, especially when you see injuries and more injuries on kickoffs, is the NFL is just going to change the rule. After every touchdown, they're going to take the ball and set it on the 25, and you know the next team's going to start going. But right now, if they're giving you a quarter of the field, take it. Take the quarter of the field. You want good starting field position? The 25 is not bad, okay? It's much better than the 7 or the 12 or the 15 or the 18 or the 19. Um, sorry, I digress, but that's what I'm used to. I'm good at doing when those kind of things happen. Um, Mariota, how about that? Not only did Marcus Mariota throw a pass for a touchdown, then throw another pass for a touchdown that he ended up catching, but on a third and 10, late in the game, Derrick Henry going around the left end and who lays out the block in order for him to get the big first down? None other than Marcus Mariota. So that was really, really nice to see. But again, the Kelsey concussion, that was a killer for the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, that really changed the way their offense could run. But you have a 21 to three lead and you don't run the ball with Kareem Hunt more in the second half. That's just awful, awful play calling, especially when you're, you're down your tight end. Don't tell me you couldn't run the ball. You still have Tariq Hill. You still have some other receivers. But in order for you not to go on running the ball without your your big tight end and then throwing the ball to the backup tight end, he drops a couple. That's just a killer. Uh, as it turns out, Kansas City, they're going home. They have another year where they can sit. And it's not Alex Smith's fault. Don't anybody blame Alex Smith. 24 for 33 and two touchdowns. I thought he did everything he could possibly do. He also ran for a couple of first downs when they needed him. But Surprising to me, the Tennessee Titans are moving on. Uh, DeMarco Murray was out. It didn't matter. Derrick Henry ran the ball, ran the ball very well. 156 yards. Uh, had to make Adam Abdallah and all the Alabama guys happy. Uh, the second game, and we'll probably end up continuing this because we get a break coming up in a little bit, but 74,300 people turn out to see the Rams in Los Angeles. And Atlanta beats them a final of 26 to 13. Atlanta this year, 11-0 when scoring 20 or more points, 0-6 when scoring fewer. Julio Jones, nine targets. Guess what he did? He caught all nine of them. Nine targets, nine catches for 94 yards and a touchdown. 
Talk about field goal kickers. I mentioned how Harrison Butker missed a 48-yarder. Well, Matt Bryant, he didn't miss. He didn't miss any. Matt Bryant with four field goals in the contest for the Atlanta Falcons, and they end up going on and getting the victory. That was huge. Absolutely huge. They know that when they've got a kicker that's that consistent, his field goals, too, 29-51-25-54. Okay? So, again, if you're a fantasy guy, two of those were worth six points. So you're very, very happy with, uh, and my brother was one of them. He uh, was sitting on a couch going, yep, another six points. Kickers and uh, fantasy playoff pools really come through a lot. So Atlanta goes on to the 26-13 to 13 win. You had Matt Ryan, 21 for 30, 218 yards and a touchdown. Now the point I was going to bring up that I loved seeing was that Atlanta defense. Now the Rams come in, as I mentioned, the most points scored in the National Football League this year, 478 points. Todd Gurley, how many carries he get? He got 14 for 101 yards. He had 43 yards in the first three quarters. That's it for your running back, your stud running back. Um, a guy in a lot of fantasy playoff leagues went first. He was the first pick, Todd Gurley. You want him because he can catch the ball and run the ball. Well, yesterday was a disappointment because he couldn't run the ball, as I mentioned, 14 for 101. Uh, and 101's not bad, but he dropped two to three passes. And at that point, I don't know if it was a dejection on his part or Jared Goff uh, struggling with him. Goff, 24 for 45, 259, and a touchdown. And throughout the course of the game, you had to watch that field. The field was ripping it up. It was ripping up in chunks. After USC played their final game there, they redid the field for the first playoff game in Los Angeles in quite some time since the Raiders played in the playoffs when they were in Los Angeles. And uh, it was a bad field. Slipping, sliding all over the place. And special teams. We talk about special teams and the importance of special teams. Well, the Rams have a special teamer that's going to the Pro Bowl. His name is Farrell Cooper. What did he do yesterday? He muffed a punt allowing Kansas City to recover it. Then he fumbled on a kickoff. The first one led to three points and a field goal. The next one led to a Devontae Freeman touchdown. So you cannot turn the ball over. Drop passes and turnovers will kill you in the playoffs. And that was one of the reasons the uh, L.A. Rams, after being one of the best teams, the biggest surprises in the National Football League. That's why they're going home after just one weekend. Atlanta will face Philadelphia next Saturday. I hope Philly's ready because the one thing Atlanta does is they tackle. They get after you. There were numerous times where Rams players, including Todd Gurley, were running in open field. And what did the Atlanta Falcons players do? They actually looked at what they were tackling. They hit it and wrapped up. It was so nice to see. I would hope that whoever is coaching the Bears next season will get a film or a tape or whatever, a DVD or a flash drive or whatever they want to use nowadays, get one of the tackling for the Atlanta Falcons and give it to Adrian Amos and Kyle Fuller. Amos will be here. Fuller, not so sure about. Still trying to figure that out. 312-332-3776. Fred Hubner with you. A couple other games to look at for today. We'll take more of a look back at what happened last night. Your phone calls at 312-332-3776. Also this half hour, Mike Pereira, the former head of officials, rips Jeff Triplett and his crew. We'll talk about that and more. Fred Hubner here on ESPN 1000. Chicago's Game Day with Fred Hubner on ESPN 1000 and ESPN Chicago. Mariota takes the snap, looks to his right, looking, looking, flushed out. Now back to his left, pumping. 
Throwing into the end zone. No, he kept it. Dove for the end zone himself and got in. Oh, my goodness. I thought for sure Mariota had thrown it. What a play. Let's see exactly how it went. It was batted back to him. He did throw it. He caught it for a touchdown. Touchdown Titans. What a play, Marcus Mariota, who just threw and caught a touchdown pass. Oh, my God. I don't think there's anybody more confused than the uh, play-by-play guy from WGFX Nashville. He didn't see that he threw the ball? He must be the only person in the country that didn't that see that. That was never a question if no. he threw it. <laughs> That's pretty funny. That's very funny, actually. Uh, Marcus Mariota throws and catches a pass. That has happened before in a game, and it was funny because uh, Brad Johnson, who used to be the quarterback for John Gruden with Tampa, he actually sent it, the video, to John Gruden after it happened, and Gruden actually held his phone up to the TV or, or to the camera and showed the play, which was kind of bizarre. You would think in TV nowadays they would have just been able to dial it up and yeah. hey, John, can you email that to me yes. so we can just throw it on the screen or something? Yeah. <laughs> yes, but instead, no. He bring, and I was waiting to see. You know, is is the is it listed? Is um, is Brad Johnson's you know Twitter account listed or anything listed? Nah, it was just it just it just was the play. But yeah, it was a bizarre play. Marcus Mariota going forward. And it was nice to see because this guy worked his tail off and you saw how much the team uh, loves this guy, not only for what he can do offensively, but the block he laid out when he got uh, Derrick Henry to get the first down on a third and ten run around the left side. As soon as he handed the ball off to Henry, you saw him go out and get ready to block. Now, he did just enough to make sure that Henry got the first down, and that was great. And the sideline went crazy because that was late in the game. Big first down for Tennessee as they go on to get the victory, 22-21. to And uh, they move on, as do the Atlanta Falcons after their win. Atlanta knows who they're playing. They're facing Philadelphia in Philly next Saturday. Tennessee has to wait now for the results of the Buffalo-Jacksonville game. It's a noon start as Buffalo going to the playoffs for the first time since 99. If the Bills win, they play New England. If Jacksonville wins, the Jags will play uh, Pittsburgh, and meaning Tennessee will get the New England Patriots. Earlier in the week, there was all kinds of talk um, about an article that Seth Wickersham wrote about the New England Patriots, about the triumvirate of Kraft and Belichick and Brady and how things have been working up there and maybe why Jimmy Garoppolo got dealt for a second-round pick during the course of the year. You've got to check it out at ESPN.com, a great, great in-depth article about these three. Now, pretty much everybody involved has come out and said something about the article, okay? They've uh, made a statement as I tracked down the statement made by... uh, the, I think it was by by uh, Belichick. I've got that here somewhere. And uh, but they all came out and basically said, no, 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 it's not. You know, it, things aren't as bad as uh, everything's being said about. But we do have Tom Brady. And how did you get Tom Brady? Well, he always talks um, on the games, on the network games. Okay, usually on the Monday night games, you can always catch Tom Brady talking to Jim Gray. When Jim Gray's not talking to LeBron James about where he's going, then he talks to uh, Tom Brady. And Brady talked yesterday about all these problems and about the article and about uh, what he thought about it. You know, along with winning and great success comes a lot of things. And, you know, I think for a long time we've done 
a great job of winning games and it forces people to be creative with what they talk about and the things that they write and things that they may speculate on because diagnosing football plays doesn't get the attention that some of these other things might. So speculating on relationships or what my feelings are towards my team or my organization or our players or coaches, you know, I can only speak for myself and, and really my relationships with everybody that I deal with, I feel are so positive to think anything differently of that is complete nonsense. So I love the fact where we're at as a team. I want my focus and energy to be where it needs to be, which is on the biggest game of the year. And, you know, that's what I know I'll personally accomplish. And I know that's going to be a big goal for our team this week too. Now, when you read the article and you really have to read the article, it's great stuff. A great article by Seth Wickersham from ESPN.com. But you'll also come away feeling a little bit better than you did, I think, about Bill Belichick. If you liked Bill Belichick, I think you'll feel even better about him. If you weren't a big Bill Belichick fan, you know, he's wearing his hoodie. He's a crotchety old man. He doesn't want to answer any questions. He gives one or two word answers. And he said, this guy's really a pain. You may think a little bit more highly of him. Apparently, he walked in to Kraft's office. And Kraft, the owner of the team, basically uh, was given like some kind of an ultimatum. It was like, listen, Tom Brady wants to stick around. We've got Jimmy Garoppolo. And Kraft told, Robert Kraft told Belichick, you're going to have to trade Garoppolo. From everything we understand, Bill Belichick was ready to win for a long time after this season by moving a Jimmy Garoppolo into the starting quarterback position. And... um so here's what Belichick said after the article came out. For the past 18 years, the three of us have enjoyed a very good and productive working relationship. In recent days, there have been multiple media reports that have speculated theories that are unsubstantiated, highly exaggerated, and flat-out inaccurate. The three of us share a common goal. We look forward to the enormous challenge of competing in the postseason and the opportunity to work together in the future, just as we have for the past 18 years. It is unfortunate that there is even a need for us to respond to these fallacies. It should be just respond. Um, as our actions have shown, we stand united. So we will see. We'll see how the Patriots are. They get to uh, wait, watch, and see who their opponent's going to be next week. And uh, the playoffs just get more interesting each and every day, each and every game, just get more interesting. The one guy I wanted to make sure I mentioned on uh, – actually, there's two, and I don't remember the other guy. I think he's a safety for Atlanta who actually got down and made all the great tackles. But the linebacker, Deion Jones, yesterday, 10 tackles, including one for loss, also had a pass breakup. Now, granted, the pass breakup in the end zone, he had his hands wrapped – you know, I've danced with people – in my younger days, dancing with my wife. I was going to say, we're breaking news here, yeah, no, no. yeah, I've danced with my wife in the past, and I wasn't holding her as close as Deion Jones was holding Robert Woods on the goal line. Uh, not only did he hold him, but he also like spun around then, and then eventually knocked the ball away. If you're not going to call anything, that's fine, I guess. But somewhere along the line, you know, there's there are rules for a reason. And I understand that each and every time a guy goes out there, see Woods. It was a rough day for Woods. That guy, that was it. Woods or Watson or Watkins at the goal line. I can't remember now. Um, but Woods got called for coming back on a crackback block and flattening a guy. And then there was the play on the goal line. So there were some questionable calls throughout both games. 
and uh, you know Ed Hockley went and he looked at one play and looked at it, checked it out, and then came out and made an announcement and then went back and did the whole thing over again. He said, we're going to have to go look at it now. He's like, really? Why are you looking at it now? You've already told us that you know what happened and then he went to review it so it, w- it was a rough day of officiating we'll get to what uh jeff triplett actually what mike Pereira said let's get to that now because mike Pereira had some really good stuff about yesterday's situations with the refereeing and then we find out more about jeff triplett today but here's mike Pereira. the titans and chiefs played a great game of kick uh to kick off this year's playoffs Former NFL head of officiating Mike Pereira did not like what he saw from the third team on the field. Pereira blasted referee Jeff Triplett and his crew for a poorly called game, writing on Twitter afterwards that they didn't handle the game like a playoff crew should. Horrible way to start the playoffs. I hate to say it, but this was not a good performance by the crew. Teams and fans deserve better, Pereira wrote. Now, among the issues in the game of the Titans and the Chiefs, Triplett blew the play dead immediately when Chiefs linebacker Derek Johnson hit Titans quarterback Marcus Mariota, ruling uh, forward progress had been stopped. The play was over. Replays clearly showed that Mariota had fumbled the ball. On Mariota's touchdown pass to himself, Triplett wrongly announced that Mariota was an eligible receiver because he was in the shotgun formation. Now, in reality, the ball had been touched by a defensive player, which means that every player in the field is an eligible receiver. After one penalty, there's a long delay while the officials conferred repeatedly trying to figure out the right spot for the ball. On a Titans first down, the ball was spotted three yards short of where it should have been, forcing the Titans to challenge. And they did. Triplett announced that one Titans penalty was on number 11. Titans didn't have a number 11 on the field because the player with that number, Alex Tanney, a backup quarterback, is on the injured reserve and wasn't suited up for the game. And finally, in the final minutes of the game, Derrick Henry tackled, was clearly down. One official blew his whistle. But after Henry went down, the ball was stripped from Henry. Johnson picked it up, ran to the end zone. The other officials allowed the play to keep going, even though one had blown it dead. Replay eventually got it right, but once... Again, one of, but once one official has blown it dead, it should have been over from there. Now, watching that, my brother goes, they blew the whistle. The play's over. Now, I didn't necessarily hear the whistle, but that was it. Now, Triplett has had a long reputation of as one of the NFL's worst referees. This was on display for the audience on Sunday. The interesting thing to me is that they made sure they said, I want to say it was Sean McDonough, that broke it down and said, this is a refereeing uh, officials. These were all the best officials of the year. It's like an all-star officiating crew. and it, But it's not. Jeff Triplett's awful. And uh, Andy Reid was asked after the game about the officials. And he said, I, I don't really have anything good to say there. So I'm just going to stay away from any comments about those guys. I don't want to get fined. It's not worth it. Uh, why the NFL? This is in an article um, in Pro Football Talk. Says why the NFL assigned Triplett to referee a playoff game is unclear. Triplett routinely struggles to keep a game under control, as he did again today. Not un, uh, not only with the highly questionable call on Mariota's forward progress, but also throughout the game. We talked about that, and now reports are uh, Eric. You saw these reports come a little bit earlier. Yeah, this is also from Pro Football Talk. Jeff Triplett, the much criticized referee who worked the game yesterday, has reportedly decided to call it a career. So 
You know, basically, the NFL threw Jeff Triplett a bone. They had an idea he was probably going to retire. They probably knew it. And all of a sudden, they put him out there in one of the biggest games of the year. It's a playoff game. All playoff games are huge. And they should be refereed by the all-star officials, the guys that are the best at their positions each and every Saturday and Sunday. Instead, Jeff Triplett's out there, and we get bad calls and bad delays and sitting around watching games uh, where the referees make some awful calls. Awful stuff from the NFL. 312-332-3776. Let's head on up to Michigan and Dwight. Dwight, you're on ESPN 1000. What's up? I love you, Fred. Uh, always enjoy you. You're very uh, nice to listen to. Thank you. Uh, I missed it when Kelsey got knocked out of the Kansas City game with the headshot. Yeah. It's been driving me nuts. My guy, I love the college rule that the guy, he takes somebody out, he's out of the game. At least that's, you know, when they lost him, that was the game. It's really aggravating. Um, I had more, but I'm going for Clint here. <laughs> no, that's okay. Dwight, you bring up a good point because when I was watching the game, uh, I couldn't believe that there wasn't a flag thrown on the guy because Kelsey was going down, but the guy came in. Kelsey was already on his way down. The guy came in with his helmet. He hit him with his helmet, helmet to helmet, and Kelsey went down. Now, my brother sitting on the couch were disagreeing with me. Well, he was going down. He didn't know the angle. I said, no, he wasn't looking at the guy. He was just going in head first. He dipped his head and hit Kelsey. And that guy should have been given a penalty. He should have been maybe, maybe even ejected. It didn't happen. And that's where the referees have to take control. Now, if you're going to do it, one thing, go all the way through, okay? Because the hit by Woods in the second game, it wasn't an awful block. As a matter of fact, it reminded me a lot of the um, Smith-Schuster, the Juju Smith-Schuster block on Vontez Perfect. I thought it was okay, but it was called a comeback block. Uh, basically, he caught the defender who wasn't looking and flattened him. Boy. That's the way football was always meant to be played, I thought. Okay, he didn't do anything wrong. The guy just, you got to have your head on a swivel. He didn't do right. it. Right, that's a saying for a reason. Keep your head on a swivel. Yeah. They've, they've regulated that play out of the game completely. Yeah. Completely. And it was it was awful because Woods, actually, you want to see your, your wide receivers block. He did. He flattened the guy so his guy could get some yardage. As it turned out, it was a penalty. Ball got brought back. That was a bad referee and all all day long. Would not be surprised to see more of that bad refereeing today. Two games coming up. We'll preview the uh, first game, or actually the second game. We'll preview the Carolina-New Orleans game with Amos Morrell um, from NOLA.com a little after 10 o'clock. Also, Mike Rodak from uh, ESPN NFL Nation. And uh, 312-332-3776. You want to jump on in. Fred Hupner there with you. We'll get to the Bears coaching. We will get to some baseball it's really, it's been really quiet on the baseball front and I'm getting a little frustrated. I'm sure Jesse Rogers is too. Nothing's happening. Jesse has to just twiddle his thumbs and Jesse's not good at just sitting around doing nothing. Believe me. We'll talk more about the games from yesterday. Get you ready for what's coming up later on today. We'll even take a look at the Bulls game before we're out of here. 312-332-3776. Here till noon, Fred Hupner with you on Chicago's game day on ESPN 1000. Chicago's Game Day with Fred Hubner on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. Six-point lead for Atlanta. Brian takes a snap, fakes it to Freeman, back foot throw, loops it, Jones the catch, touchdown Atlanta. Julio Jones, Ryan was slipping. He well, managed to get enough on it and put the ball in the air for Jones. Oh, na, 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 na. Hey. 
Yeah, it was real nice yesterday. Matty Ice, Matt Ryan with a touchdown pass late in the game. Put that one away to Julio Jones. Jones targeted nine times, makes nine catches. Even ran the ball, I think, yesterday, too. So nice to see for the Atlanta Falcons as they knock off the L.A. Rams. A final 26-13. Atlanta moves on. They go to Philadelphia. And as soon as I saw that, I don't think much of Philadelphia when Nick Foles. Um, I don't think Atlanta is going to take him lightly. But uh, the way Atlanta plays some defense, their defense really stepped up yesterday and shut down an L.A. Rams team that was the highest-scoring team in the NFL this year, 478 points. They held them to just 13 points yesterday. Again, Todd Gurley's got to do more um, next year, I guess, at this point. But Todd Gurley, uh, you can't just run a guy like that only 14 times. 14 rushes for 101 yards. He only had 43 in the first three quarters. I understand that Atlanta was doing a good job shutting him down when he ran the ball, but we've seen this here with the Bears all year long. You got to stick with the run. The run opens up the pass. As a result, not good enough for the Rams. Jared Goff, 24 for 45 in his playoff game, 259 yards and a touchdown, and um, the Rams go home. McVay gets to, uh, Sean McVay gets to figure out new ways to get his, uh, team to score points in the regular season and then wait again till next year to see if they get back there. It's real difficult when you look at some of these coaches and we heard nothing but praise for certain coaches. Look, look what Sean McVay is doing with the Rams. And uh, I guess you'll remember how good the Rams were and that the Rams finally got to the playoffs. You may not remember how bad they looked offensively in their playoff game. And they did. They did not look good. They went up against a good defense, were unable to do anything, which is, you know, that's going to eat away at the Rams. It's going to eat away at uh, Jared Goff and Todd Gurley and Sean McVay all season long, all off season. But you know what? They got there. And that's the goal that the uh, Bears organization has right now. Get to the postseason. A quick recap of what's going on with those Bears coaching search. They started by talking to their own guy, uh, defensive coordinator Vic Fangio, and reports also out today that the Bears reportedly denied the Bengals permission to talk to Vic Fangio. I guess the coaches' contracts are good until the Super Bowl. Because otherwise, Vic Fangio would be out of the deal. That's what I was going to say. Like, he's done. That's yeah. So Cincinnati has to wait a couple I, weeks, basically. I think so. Uh, but apparently, um, w- which one is it? Was it Pat Shermer, I think? And uh, there were also reports that one of the coaches has already said he'd be happy to have Vic Fangio. That was DiFilippo. Oh, DiFilippo. That's yes, right. Yes, he was on the John DiFilippo, who was talked to, uh, let's see, yesterday. Uh, that's where the Bears talked to Philadelphia quarterbacks coach John DeFilippo because he had the day off. So far, they've talked to Vic Fangio, George Edwards, the Minnesota defensive coordinator, Minnesota offensive coordinator Pat Shermer, New England offensive coordinator Josh McDaniel, John DeFilippo, the Philadelphia quarterback coach. And today, they get a chance to talk to Kansas City offensive coordinator uh, Matt Nagy. Nagy has some spare time now after that one and uh, after the loss yesterday. And the question will continue, and I know they'll be talking about it Monday here. Cap will be jumping on because they were all on Twitter last night going back and forth. Who was calling plays yesterday for the Chiefs? I think it was Andy Reid. I think he took the play calling back. Andy Reid was actually asked about it after the game, about the play calling. He take over the play calling or did he call the entire game? And why the difference in the aggressiveness? 
the first half versus the second half? He called the good ones, and I called the bad ones. So we'll keep it at that. Now, it's funny. I heard Adam say Andy Reid wasn't going to throw uh, Matt Nagy under the bus. He also didn't throw himself under the bus by saying that. That makes it clear that he was making play calls, though. Yeah, at the does. very least, he at least took some plays away from Matt Nagy. Yeah, which doesn't really make sense. Uh, why? Unless you're going to say, you know, you were winning. You're, it was 21-3. to what are you doing? There's no reason. Unless you're up and you decide, listen, let me call the rest of these. You haven't called plays in a playoff or something like that. Not sure what that is. We'll preview the NFC game from today. Carolina, New Orleans, we come back. Fred Hubner with you on ESPN 1000. Chicago's Game Day with Fred Hubner on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. Breeze out of the shotgun. Mark Ingram outside the hash on the left. He's releasing to the flat. Breeze fires to the corner route. It is caught. Back in the end zone, touchdown New Orleans, Michael Thomas. They need to reach the Buccaneer nine-yard line from the 24. Newton dropping, dropping, looking, wants to throw the deep ball down the near sideline. Benjamin in the end zone, goes up and makes the catch. Touchdown Carolina Panthers on third down and forever. Newton burns the Buccaneer secondary. Well, we're hoping for some excitement later on today. Second game today in the wild card schedule. We'll have Carolina at New Orleans. Fred Hubner back with you. Here till noon, previewing the games today and looking back at what happened yesterday. Hoping for some uh, good refereeing today in the two games. And maybe not so many delays and questions on rules. And, you know, hey, the quarterback threw a pass. It was tipped. Can he catch? Yeah, he can. Let's not wait so long. Uh, later on this afternoon, Carolina and New Orleans, a 3.30 start Chicago time on Fox. And to get more info on what's going on down in New Orleans, we go to Amos Morell from NOLA.com. Amos, how are you today? I'm doing all right. How about stuff this morning? Doing real well. Uh, getting ready for day two of the wild card playoff game. Let me ask you one question. I was looking at right off the bat. I was looking at some numbers, and it seems to me, and maybe this is just me, maybe it's just us in Chicago, but it seems to me that Drew Brees doesn't get the credit he deserves. 72% completion percentage today, or this year. That's the highest, I think, ever in a season for a quarterback. Um, Pretty darn good for a guy that uh, just continues to go out there year in, year out, different receivers, different guys to throw to. He just keeps doing it each and every year, doesn't he? Oh, absolutely, and that's one of the things that really just, I guess, exemplifies that greatness and, you know, why he's a future Hall of Famer is that it doesn't seem to matter who who you give him. The thing that really surprised us this year was that, you know, he's got his first Pro Bowl receiver after, you know, putting up so many just yards on top of yards. He's one of the three players with 70,000 passing yards, and since he's been a state, Michael Thomas is the first receiver he's had get uh, chosen for the Pro Bowl, so obviously he's you know, I think there's a little to that, but you know, even this year, uh, you know, you talk about the 72% completion percentage. Um, you know, some of the rest of his passing numbers are down, but you know, he always seemed to come up in the clutch this year when they needed a big play for him. You know, the one thing we'll hear a lot today: people getting ready for the game, and it'll be a it'll be a graphic on the screen, and we'll hear the announcer say it that the Saints have won five straight home playoff games. How many guys that are on this team right now even know that or care or were even out there for any of those? Probably besides Drew Brees, probably none of them, right? I think there are, I think we counted, there are seven guys that were on the team the last time they made the playoffs. Yeah. 2013, uh, punter Thomas Morstead, Cam Jordan, uh, the defensive end, uh, Raphael Bush, who's the guy they brought back this season. So it's not a, it's not a big group. 
No, and, and so basically what I'm getting to is it just and it it's just a meaningless stat that we us that we love to throw out there. Uh, you know, winning five straight home playoff games, just like they were talking about how the Chiefs have now lost six straight home playoff games. But the Saints do very, very well at home, uh, and they've done very well against Carolina this year, winning both games and winning them rather handily, 34-13, 31-21. Were there keys to both of those games that uh, in the Saints' victories? Were they able to run the ball? Were they able to throw? Were they able to shut down Cam Newton? What exactly happened in those two that they hope they can continue to do today in game three against them well in the first game what you really saw was you, you saw that they seemed to correct a lot of the mistakes they had made in those first two weeks on defense um you know they inserted ken crawley into the starting lineup at cornerback after he was inactive the first two games and he really shored up that other spot um in, uh you had pj williams come out and make a big play marcus williams had an interception in that game you just got a real good play from the defense and that really kind of fueled that offense which it seemed like it was on the verge of, uh, you know, being able to put up the points you're accustomed to seeing the Saints offense put up, just weren't able to stick with their game plans. And that was also the game uh, where Mark, Mark Ingram really got going for the first time this year. And it was sort of the same thing in the second game. You had a really good play from the, the defense, and that running game with Alan Kamara and Mark Ingram just kept finding ways to get around that defense and, you know, break off some big plays. Amos Morrell from NOLA.com joining us here on ESPN 1000. Fred Huebner with you. The Saints taking on uh, the Carolina Panthers later on today. You mentioned that defense. Was it just the change of one or two things? Because you're right, when the season started, I mean, fantasy fantasy football guys said, who's playing the Saints? I want a lot of those guys that are going against them. Because the Saints were brutal early in the season. What was it? Was it changes in philosophy? Was it one or two changes? Was it getting guys back? What exactly was it that made that defense what it was? Well, for one, uh, it, it was obviously, you know, you got a lot of young guys playing in that defense. You know, you're starting cornerback Marshawn Lattimore, who's having a defensive rookie of the year season. Uh, he was out for a game here and there. And, you know, guys just, you were a lot of guys kind of feeling each other out, trying to figure out where they played. You know, they made some offseason acquisitions and Alex Okafer and AJ Klein. Both of those guys are on injured reserve right now, but there were a lot of moving parts and it seemed like they just kind of finally were able to go out and play. And, you know, when you add talented players, eventually once they figure it out and find their role in the scheme, that's sort of what it seemed like was sort of, was key to the, ter- uh, the turnaround. You know, you mentioned, uh, Marshawn Lattimore and watching him play. He does, he plays anything but a rookie. He, he plays like he's a pro bowler. He plays like he's a guy that's been in this league for a few years. Uh, were you guys surprised with how quickly he's been able to pick this thing up and how dangerous he's been? Uh, well, one of the things, you know, the question mark with him, I believe, was, you know, he had a lot of injuries in college. So I think that was a bigger question mark. Everyone knew he had the talent to come in and beat us. But even then, uh, to have this kind of an impact where, you know, teams don't even, some teams don't even test him, uh, that part was a surprise. But everyone knew he was going to be a, a good player. It was just concerns that would he be able to stay healthy because in college at Ohio State, he didn't really you know, seem to be able to do that. So, but no, I think even the fact that like he came along so quickly, I think that was more of a surprise. You mentioned that uh, him being out, and I'm looking here. He missed both games against Carolina this year, so this is the first time he's getting a chance to go against a uh, uh, Cam Newton, and uh, that that just makes it even more difficult for Newton. Uh, have they talked at all about that about him not playing in the first two games? 
Oh yeah, you know he's actually said he's very excited about the the opportunity to go uh, against the Cam Newton and this offense with Devin Funches and uh, Christian McCaffrey, and that's one thing you've seen from Marshawn Lynch this season. You know he seems to really get up for those big games and those big matchups. You talk about uh, when they play the Falcons. You know he was going at Julio Jones, and he you know said he you know enjoys going against guys like that. And obviously the Mike Williams uh, from Tampa Bay, that whole situation. He he was really uh, amped to go against him the second time, and you could see it in, when his plays when he knocks a ball down or breaks up a pass. He gets really amped about it. So he's definitely looking forward to this one, and that'll be a key for him because you know as you know with Carolina, if Cam Newton can get rolling, it, it'll be a long day. It's it's real easy to uh, fit a guy in and make it feel good when you got a guy like Alvin Kamara who can catch the ball, who can return kicks, who can run the ball the way he does. How does he get along with Ingram? Because you know Ingram's the guy there now, and or was the guy, and all of a sudden this rookie comes in. They're sharing time, and they're both taking the spotlight. How do those two get along? Well, they're getting along famously. You know, they do their post game interviews together. As a team, okay. you know, they hang out outside. They're they're. Uh, it's almost surprising with how good they get along. But when you look at it, Mark Ingram just had his you know career best rushing yardage, career high in touchdowns, career high in receiving yards, and uh, so he's you know completely uh, you know he's fine with the way this is working out. Because if anything, having Alvin Kamara kind of opened up the playbook and. You know, the Saints even this year were doing more things with Mark Ingram and it allowed, you know, him to get better looks against those defenses. So they're having a, a great time in that backfield. One of the things that people up here in Chicago are hoping for is now they're looking for a new head coach. They were, I think when the season started, they were hoping that it would be a rough season for the New Orleans Saints and there was a possibility Sean Payton could be looking for a job and that job could be here with the Bears. Well, that changed quickly. How's his job security down there now? Well, obviously, after, you know, they ran <laughs> off eight straight games after that first Carolina uh, win. And honestly, uh, I think that uh, before the season, even the GM, Mickey Loomis, had said that, uh, you know, they weren't viewing this as one of those those crossroads seasons for the team. But I think definitely with his performance, uh, I think he'll be around for a little for a lo- uh, while longer. Okay, how did the... Um... How did the Saints fans go into this season? Because, I mean, five of the six teams that made the NFC playoffs this year are all new, the Saints being one of them. Atlanta was the only repeat from last season. How are the Saints, uh, you know, approaching these playoffs? Do they feel that they can go the distance? They feel they can get to a Super Bowl? How do they feel about this? Well, I will tell you that this is a very confident group of fans, so they definitely feel like they can make the Super Bowl run. Uh, at the beginning of the season, they were a little restless, you know, coming off of three years of seven and nine. You could tell they were wanting results. They were wanting to see improvement. Uh, you were starting to see a lot more uh, visiting visiting fans in the Dome. Right. But, you know, as the season's gone on, you could tell those guys aren't selling their tickets as much, and it's gotten louder and louder as the season's gone on. And, you know, just with the way they've played and the guys they've, they've added, uh, you know, you're looking at, you're talking about Mark and, and Alvin again, those guys' first pair of running back teammates to go over 1,500 yards in a season. They're, you know, they're giving a lot of these, these teams confidence with the way that defense is playing in that running game that, you know, this is a team that could travel well and really, uh, you know, go out there and make some noise this year. Well, you know, and, and also the, you know, the Bears went down there. The Bears actually played pretty well. They only lost, I think it was 20 to 12 
and it was a game where Drew Brees did not throw a touchdown pass in the contest. Uh, it was also the game, unfortunately, for the Bears and for Zach Miller that he ended up getting hurt, that tragic injury or near tragic injury uh, in the end zone. And I think a lot of Bears fans uh, feel good about the Saints because they heard all the stories about how Saints players were going to the hospital and checking in on uh, Zach Miller. Uh, you know, it's weird when you go to a football game and you see a guy, you know, something happened to a guy and he gets carted off and he rarely do you see the opposing team check go to the hospital and check guys out but i think the chicago bears fans got a good feeling about the saints and some of the saints players for doing that after that contest well absolutely and then that's one of the things uh you funny you bring that up that's one of the things that uh, a lot of us are pointing to to this turnaround is that one of the things this team in their personnel department has been looking they've been looking for those kind of guys those high character guys the guys that you know hold themselves accountable that you know are competitive but aren't crazy yeah <laughs> to, uh, put it in a way so that's one of the things you see you know you've seen moments like that where you know they're going to visit uh him after the injury and you know checking up on other guys when they go down so it's uh that's one of the things you, you got a lot of good a lot of good guys on this team i'd say Amos, appreciate your input. Uh, people can find you at Amos underscore Morell, M-O-R-A-L-E, the third. I'm Fred Huebner, the third. I don't use it as much as you do, but hey, you know what? We're, we, we're loud and proud with it, right? Absolutely. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. So I just don't have it on the back of my jersey. You know, I got, I got to find a track of jersey down with my name on it and put the third on it. So we'll do that. <laughs> Amos, appreciate it. Should be a fun one today. Let's see if uh, you guys can extend the season a little bit longer. Uh, good luck to you and the Saints, okay? All right. Thanks yeah, a lot. Amos Morrell from NOLA.com, the uh, Times Picayune down in New Orleans, Louisiana, giving us a little bit of insight to the New Orleans Saints. And yeah, I forgot about it when we were talking about, uh, New Orleans and it popped up that that was, you know, not only did the Bears play that game, but, you know, it was the awful injury for Zach Miller. And then, you know, next thing you know, he's got a bunch of Saints players checking him out in his hotel or hotel, his hospital room. And, um, yeah, it's, uh, I'd like to see the Saints win. I'm not the biggest of biggest Cam Newton fan, and I've explained to people before where that all started. Each and every year I get into a college bowl pool run by my buddy um, Mark Malero, and I don't know anything about college football. Jay Hood asked me recently, he goes, why didn't you ask me? He goes, you don't know anything about college football. I said, I know I don't, but I got in it one year. All I needed was for the quarterback for Auburn to fall into the end zone, and I would have got like, I would have won first place. And that quarterback decided he's going to take a knee instead. That quarterback was Cam Newton. How dare him. How dare yep. him. So that started the vendetta right that, there? That's okay. it. That's it. He That started it. I mean, he cost me a ton of cash. And or or you know jelly beans or however you want to say it, uh, and yeah, so that's while drinking it. your soda pops, exactly. right? Yeah, exactly. So, um, but yeah, it, it should it could be a good game. Saints have won the first two, and Mar- you know Marshawn Lattimore did not play in either of the first two games. He is definitely going to be a factor in this game. Someone that Cam Newton is going to have to keep an eye on. Um, you know they've got Funchess, they do have McCaffrey. Uh, I expect McCaffrey to be used early and often in this contest, and we'll see. It's the uh, second game of the day, three thirty start. Um, Carolina is three and zero in the wild card round, so we'll see how that goes. Uh, again, New Orleans have won both meetings at Carolina, thirty four thirteen, and at home at the Dome, thirty one twenty one. 
Drew Brees, 72% completion percentage. Absolutely amazing. Kamara, 7.7 yards per touch. Um, he's just amazing. He's fun to watch. So when that one gets underway, I'm sure people will just be sitting on their couch getting ready for a typical Sunday of the NFL. And uh, there's hopefully will be a couple of good ones. The Bears today confirming that Ryan Pace is interviewing Chiefs offensive coordinator Matt Nagy for the head coaching vacancy. And as I mentioned, that makes it three. Uh, and that's it makes it six uh, coaches that uh, Ryan Pace has talked with. And they got to make sure they got all these guys in. Guys who um, were playing this week or on buys, they had to talk to everybody by Friday. Or by today, actually. Today was the final day. Uh, now, once the team loses, you can talk to whoever you want. But once they're still in the playoffs from this point on, you can't talk to them. One thing I wanted to make sure I got to, and... I've been saying this for years in all in baseball. In football, I've always said coaching in football means a lot more than it does in baseball. Because in my opinion, in baseball, if you don't have a pitcher, if you don't have the pitchers doing their job, you don't have the guys getting hits, you know, if the pitchers are getting rocked, the uh, hitters are going down one, two, three, you can't win the games. You've got to have the talent. And I think managers are not nearly as important as coaches and head coaches in other sports. Now, in football... I think coaches are important, okay, because there's a game plan, there's scheming, there's things like that. But I've always said that, even my brother, again, my brother Barry, we were arguing all night long last night. You can't blame coaches for penalties. And there were a couple of penalties yesterday, and my brother goes, he'd be off the field. I go, it's the playoffs. You can't pull the guy off the field. He goes, well, then he should have been pulled off earlier in the year. Coaches won't do that because they put their best talent on the field. If a guy screws up, they don't have a guy that's better to go out there. And they're not going to punish a player for doing that. Now, somewhere along the line, you got to put the blame on players. And I was so happy to hear this the other day. Fifteen finalists for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. One of them, good old number 54, Brian Erlacher. And Erlacher joined Waddle and Sylvie. And we'll hear more from him about being a Hall of Fame finalist in a little bit. But Erlacher joined Waddle and Sylvie. And man, oh man, I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna get this and carry this around with me. This was Brian Erlacher talking with Waddle and Sylvie the other day. I get tired of all these coaches getting blamed for everything that goes wrong with these teams. It's not their fault. You know, the players have to make plays ultimately. You know, it's not, it doesn't come down to a coach making a call, this and that. It comes down to their players executing what the play is called and go out there and doing it and competing every Sunday. And it's not, coaches can't make them do that every week. So I get tired of people blaming all these coaches when, uh, when it's not their fault all the time. I love Brian Erlacher even more now um, because he's exactly right. It is so easy to blame the coaches. Um, you know, I understand people didn't like uh, John Fox and his challenges. and I. But, you, you know, blaming John Fox for the injuries, and J.D. and I had a big argument about this uh, two weeks ago, blaming John Fox for penalties, blaming the coaching staff for penalties is just wrong. It's You know, you put the players in the position to win games. And if the players don't do it, if the players make mistakes, if the players drop passes, if the players commit penalties, it's on the players. Now, you do need a guy that is a good leader. And from everything we've heard, and again, I'm not saying John Fox should be here because it's a results-oriented business. You go 14 and 34 in three years, you had to make a change, okay? But you can't put all the blame on the coaching staff. Just because you go on out and get a new coach, that doesn't mean anything. That doesn't mean that all of a sudden you're going to become the Rams of of uh, next year, okay? That doesn't mean you're going to change. You know why the Rams are better? They picked up 
Sammy Watkins. They picked up Robert Woods, and they picked up you know uh, Andrew Whitworth, the guy to block on the offensive line. You need players. Even in the NFL, you need players. No one's winning because they're a great coach and they have awful talent. You need to have good talent. So Ryan Pace not only needs to hire a coach who's got a good, who's a good leader, but he needs to bring in players. Uh, free agency has not worked well for Ryan Pace. Not necessarily well. He's gotten a couple of guys and the draft. Think about it. And it's, the more I thought about this, people brought it up. When you draft guys, you'd like them to help you the following year. Ryan Pace drafted Tariq Cohen and Adam Shaheen. He said he expected both of them to help quite a bit this year. Tariq Cohen did. Tariq Cohen contributed. But there are a lot of times you would look at the stats when the game was over, and Tariq Cohen would have, you know, uh, four rushes and two receptions. Okay, that's not getting involved in the offensive game plan enough. I need a guy like Tariq Cohen getting the ball in his hands a few more times than that. Okay, I understand he's learning a lot. And I think what Tariq Cohen's going to bring to this team next year is going to be so much better, so much more, because not only is he going to be returning kicks and returning punts, and he'll know uh, the two-minute offense. He will know and be able to play. Um, Steve Michael McMichael, who did the show this time slot with me all season long during the Bears season, said the first, second week of the year, you've got to put Tariq Cohen in, in the slot. Put him in the slot, let him catch the ball, and go from there. And that's what the Bears have to do. Whoever comes in, offensive-minded coach or a defensive-minded guy, he's got to bring an offensive coordinator in here that not only can work with Mitchell Trubisky and make Trubisky a better player, but also needs to make Tariq Cohen and Jordan Howard and needs to know how to figure out how to run the ball. The Bears were the weirdest team in, in football. Four times this year. The Bears ran the ball for more than 220 yards. And there were also four times this year when they ran the ball for 63 or less. They ran the ball 63, 43, uh, two. They ran the ball for two yards one game. Two yards! The same team that ran the ball for 222 in four games this year. More than 220 yards. So they were a very, very difficult team to figure out. Well, you know, the other guys schemed for No! You've got to figure out how to block it. If you can figure it out four times, you should figure it out the rest of the time. And when I mentioned Trubisky, Ian Rappaport was on earlier this week with Waddle and Sylvie. And it's going to be the big thing. We Matt Nagy, who the Bears are talking to today, the offensive coordinator for the Chiefs, apparently Nagy and uh, Trubisky have stayed in touch with each other. Uh, there are times I have heard that uh, Nagy even called Trubisky, you know, during the week's and talked about how things were going and stuff like that, okay? Ian Rappaport talked about Trubisky and how he's viewed around the rest of the National Football League. Um, I would say generally it's positive. Um, I think we've seen a couple of different examples this year with Wentz and Goff both to where people are starting to say, all right, just because a guy isn't a superstar as a rookie doesn't mean we know everything or anything. Wentz was pretty good last year, took a huge leap this year. Goff was not good at all last year. Took a huge leap this year. Um, there are definitely people who see some of that uh, in Mitchell Trubisky. You know, like, man, he really started to play pretty well late in the season. He's got no talent, no targets around him. You know, the skill position is probably as bad as, it, as bad as it is anywhere. You know, I've definitely talked to enough candidates and I've talked to enough evaluators to where I don't think that's going to be a hindrance at all. And I think there are some people who think this guy could be a star. The worst case uh, sort of comparison 
is Andy Dalton. You know, maybe he is just a completely average starting quarterback. If that's the case, you're going to have to play great defense and run the ball, but you can win with Andy Dalton as your quarterback. You can make the playoffs with Andy Dalton as your quarterback. The Jaguars are in the playoffs with Blake Bortles. If that's the worst case, I think the Bears are okay. So you think that's the floor for for Trubisky? That's what it seems to be. Yeah, I mean, that's and that's based on the GMs and you know the candidates in this year's pool that that I've spoken with. I haven't, haven't talked to anyone who's like, yeah, that's 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 going to be a miss. You know, at the worst, they say, well, you know, the Bears have an average quarterback, but there are some people who, some really smart people who think he is going to be very, very, very good. Your thoughts on Mitchell Trubisky? Is he going to be an average quarterback or is he going to be real, real good? And does his progress, does what he becomes in the National Football League, does it all hinge on the next move that Ryan Pace makes? He's talking to Matt Nagy, the offensive coordinator of the Chiefs. Uh, today, they talked to John Filippo, the Philadelphia quarterbacks coach yesterday, also have spoken with New England offensive coordinator Josh McDaniels, have spoke with Minnesota offensive coordinator Pat Shermer, and Minnesota defensive coordinator George Edwards, along with Vic Fangio, the Bears defensive coordinator. So, does it all hinge on Mitchell Trubisky? Everything hinge on Mitchell Trubisky. And would you be satisfied if he was as good as Andy Dalton? When we come back, we'll also talk about uh, the situation that Pat Shermer may be ready to bring a quarterback with him if he comes to the Bears or any other team. We'll discuss that too. 312-332-3776. Remember, two more four-packs of tickets for the upcoming boat show, the 2018 Progressive Boat, RV, and Sail Show. You hear the song, Come Sail Away by Sticks. Be the fifth caller, and you'll get a pair of tickets. Or, I'm sorry, you get four pack of tickets right here on ESPN 1000. Chicago's Game Day with Fred Eubner on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. Mariota takes the snap, steps up, throws down the middle. There's Decker! and lead this wild card game by a digit. Ah, highlights courtesy WGFX. The announcer was able to see the Decker pass, the pass to Decker. We played earlier the uh, touchdown that Marcus Mariota threw to himself, and uh, he was a little confused, but that's okay. He was excited. And uh, the people down in Tennessee are all excited as the Titans are moving on in the playoffs. And I was happy because I kind of like Marcus Mariota. And I, I like, I just like the way he, you know, he was, he'd been injured. He's been getting criticized by a lot of people. And um, he went out there yesterday and he, he ran the ball when he needed to. He threw some nice passes. Decker dropped one earlier, which was just a head shaker. Even he was shaking his head and put his head on the turf. Couldn't believe he dropped it. But uh, today, two more games. Buffalo, Jacksonville at noon. And Carolina, New Orleans coming up at 3.30. If Buffalo wins, they move on to play New England. If Jacksonville wins, they will play Pittsburgh. And then Tennessee goes to New England. Before we went to the break, and I know that they alluded to this in the Sports Center, but Vikings offensive coordinator Pat Shermer is one of the most in-demand head coaching candidates interviewing for vacant jobs. 
And uh, there's one other added reason his candidacy is attractive, especially for a quarterback-needy team. If Shermer ends up being hired as a quarterback-needy or by a quarterback-needy team, um, Arizona and the Giants stand out. He could bring Vikings free agent quarterback Case Keenum with him. League sources have told ESPN. Shermer and Keenan, or Keenum, I'm sorry, have developed a close working relationship, which both men, quote, uh, both think very highly of each other, according to one source. Now, you know, money will dictate a lot for Case Keenum, too, I would think. He might think very highly of Pat Shermer, but if somebody else thinks more highly of uh, him than... Then uh, another coach or another team, then maybe he'll go where the money is. It says it would be only natural then that if Shermer's new team needed a quarterback, the man he would be expected to look to would be Keenum, who is played like an MVP candidate, without a doubt, this season for Minnesota. I think Shermer to Arizona makes a lot of sense uh, because Arizona's kind of looking for a quarterback. Case Keenum has showed uh, what he can do this year. It's been great watching Minnesota, and I'm really hoping Minnesota gets not one, not two, but three home playoff games. That third home playoff game would be the Super Bowl. Uh, they'll play next week, and uh, after that, we'll, uh, you know, I think that Philadelphia is going to lose next week to Atlanta. I think if Minnesota can win, I think Atlanta would then go to Minnesota, and then it would be the Super Bowl. And it would be so cool to see Minnesota. Now, I know, Bears fans, you don't want to see anything good happen to the Vikings, but I think the way the Vikings have played this year, the way they've overcome some of their injuries to their quarterback, Sam Bradford, who started the year, and then some of their running game, Dalvin Cook started off well, and uh, then he got hurt. And was it all coaching by Mike Zimmer? No, it was Case Keenum stepping up, and it was it was uh, Latavius Murray stepping up and and doing their thing, and it was Adam Thielen, and I think that's uh, one of the great things. Um, Adam Thielen, an undrafted free agent, uh, comes in and he is the he is the fifth most receiving yards in the National Football League this year. So very very cool. Back to the Tennessee game, we heard the Eric Decker touchdown on the way out, and uh, Eric Decker joined Dickerson and Hood. You can hear him Saturdays and Sundays here on the network, and Decker was talking about how good Marcus Mariota is. Exceptional. You know, he's a great leader. Uh, you know, he, he takes a lot of big hits, uh, gets right back up, and doesn't let it bother him. You know, that, that tells you a lot about his poise, uh, about the person, you know, he is the leader he is for us. And, uh, you know, we go as Marcus goes, and he's done a good job finding ways to win football games. I have Marcus Mariota doing very, very well yesterday. His numbers, 19 for 31, 205 yards and two touchdowns, including the one to himself. The other one going to Eric Decker, who said... On Dickerson and Hood, he talked about uh, you know being down twenty-one to three and coming all the way back and getting the win. You know, this team is leaving each other. We've been uh, been through a lot of ups and downs throughout the season. You know, we won a lot of ugly games, but uh, we never stopped believing. And we got tremendous grit, uh, you know, confidence in one another. And coming to halftime, we knew we kind of shot ourselves in the foot, made some mistakes. Uh, we just had to take it one play at a time and. You know, we got a couple bounces our way, second half, made some big plays when needed, and we just the last minute. Yeah, they definitely made some big plays when they were needed, and also defensively, they, uh, I'm not sure who, did Tennessee shut down Kansas City, or did Kansas City shut down Kansas City? We'll find out a lot more. I tried to look at some of the the Kansas City uh, newspapers 
today on who they think, who the people that follow the Chiefs think uh, did the play calling in the second half of that game because they're up 21-3 to three, uh, going into the intermission. And you're up 18 points. I mean, what happened? How could things have changed and gone so badly in the second half? They don't score at all. Uh, I know there were some drops early. Tariq Hill dropping the ball. Kareem Hunt had 11 rushes. Yeah, 11 rushes for 42 yards. You can't do that. There was no reason. Uh, Alex Smith threw the ball 33 times. He was 24 for 33 for two touchdowns. Um, I understand the Travis Kelsey injury. Okay. I know that was uh, obviously something that's going to slow him down, but you would think if one of your, if your tight end goes down, you're going to try to run the ball a little bit more because Travis Kelsey does one thing. He catches the ball really well and he also gets personal fouls and makes a fool of himself sometimes, but he doesn't block a whole lot. He's not your blocking tight end. He's not the guy that's going to open holes for your running game, okay? So I don't think your running game suffered because Travis Kelsey uh, got hurt. But your running game is definitely going to suffer if you only give the ball to Kareem Hunt 11 times. And the question, again, in case you missed it, Andy Reid was asked about the play calling yesterday. You take over the play calling or the baby call the entire game? And why the difference in the aggressiveness he called the good ones and I called the bad ones. So we'll keep it at that. Yeah. You always get the media laughing. It's real simple. Just get the media laughing. Uh, we'll find out more, hopefully. Uh, Lewis Riddick from ESPN, he talked about the Kansas City play calling. He said, yeah, I was definitely the determining factor. They get too cute. They go away from Kareem Hunt. They don't give really their best ball carrier a chance to convert, stay on the football field. Now, what do you think the Tennessee Titans are going to do? They're just going to play smash-mouth football and try to control the clock. Mm-hmm. They limited, as Ryan said, the Chiefs' number of plays that they could run. And then they started exploiting something that not a lot of people talked about. We talked about it earlier today, yeah. and that is the Kansas City Chiefs' run defense mm. is atrocious. Mm-hmm. And that is exactly what the Tennessee Titans want to see. And the Tennessee Titans took advantage. Derrick Henry, the backup running back, and he was running the ball because uh, DeMarco, DeMarco Murray was out of that contest with an ankle injury. No, I'm sorry, with a knee injury. Uh, Derrick Henry, 156 rushing yards, second most in a playoff game for that franchise. He ran the ball well, including getting a big first down on a third and 10 play when Mariota handed the ball to him. They ran left, and Mariota with the big block that opened it up for the first down. Now, to the other game, the Atlanta game yesterday with the 26-13 to 13 win, over the Rams since we heard from Lewis Riddick on the first game. Let's hear from Lewis on the second game. He said it came down to one thing for the Atlanta Falcons. They just couldn't get anything going because of the speed of the Falcons' defense and the way they were all over their wide receivers in particular here. And look, when you get behind a team like the Atlanta Falcons, a team that is seasoned like this, and a team that knows how to just keep grinding on you, grinding on and grinding on you, even if they're just making field goals and they're not really putting the ball in the end zone until late in the football game, that can be a problem for a young team that's really for the first time making a trip to the playoffs together and just trying to find their way. And there were a couple of things in that game yesterday, and he mentioned field goals, and that was a huge factor. In the Kansas City game, Harrison Butker missed a 48-yard field goal. Look at the final score. The Chiefs lose by one. Okay, field goal could have changed things in the Atlanta game. They have an experienced veteran field goal kicker. He's been kicking forever. Matt Bryant, he made field goals of 29, 51, 25 and 54 yards. Atlanta knew that they had their field goal kicker. They knew they had this weapon that would be able to get them points. And they got points and put them up on the board. A couple other things for Atlanta. I mentioned linebacker Deion Jones. 
10 tackles, including one for a loss and a pass breakup. But they ran the ball, and you know what? That two-headed running game that was so good last year for the Atlanta Falcons when they got to the Super Bowl until the second half when things fell apart. Um, Devontae Freeman and Tevin Coleman, 32 carries combined, 106 yards and a touchdown. That was huge. They're able to run the ball. They're able to eat up clock and keep the ball away from the Rams. But even when the Rams got it, they just did some strange things. Not giving the ball to Todd Gurley nearly enough. He rushed the ball for only 11 times. You can't do that. I'm sorry, 14 times. Uh, he had just 43 yards in the first three quarters. He ended up with 101 yards. Also, they got to have a school for running backs on how to catch passes. And Todd Gurley needs to go there, and Jordan Howard needs to go there, and any of these running backs around the NFL that can't catch the ball. Todd Gurley, I know, I know. Yeah, he he's caught the ball a couple times this year and had big runs on him. But you know what? In a big game, when it gets to be playoff time, you can't drop three passes, and he did that yesterday. There were numerous times where Jared Goff, you look at Goff's numbers and you think he was miserable, 24 for 45. He had drops all over the field. He really did, had a ton of drops. Gurley, by the way, averaged more than 175 scrimmage yards per game in his last five games. Falcons held the MVP candidate to 111 yards from scrimmage on 18 touches. So I mentioned he had 101 yards rushing the ball. So, well, by my math, he had 10 yards receiving. Okay? That can't happen. And then part of that's on Todd, well, a good part of it's on Todd Gurley for dropping the pass and not being able to hold on. I'm eager to see the two games today. I can't wait for the Buffalo, well, I can actually wait for Buffalo Jacksonville. That was not as exciting to me. We will get a little more excited about it when Mike Rodak from ESPN NFL Nation talks to us. He is the Bills reporter. The Bills, it's a good story because them getting to the playoffs for the first time since 1999 and getting Kyle Williams their defensive lineman to the playoffs, who they put in the backfield and allowed him to score a touchdown on the final game of the season. And them standing around the locker room waiting and watching um, because the Cincinnati Bengals needed to beat the Ravens in order for the Buffalo Bills to go in. And then, hey, Andy Dalton, a guy that, you know, Mitchell Trubisky could be as good as Andy Dalton. What's Andy Dalton do? Throws a touchdown late in the game. Terrence Boyd and Baltimore is out. And as a result, the Buffalo Bills are in. So we'll talk about the Buffalo-Jacksonville game. But then that second game should be really good. Carolina and New Orleans, I want to sit back, relax, and watch Camara and Ingram and Drew Brees go to work. We're talking about it. We're going to talk a little Bulls basketball when we come back right here on ESPN 1000. Chicago's Game Day with Fred Hubner on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. Welcome back in. Fred Hubner with you. Hope you're having a good day. Hey, guess what? It's not like below zero today. Nope. We're, we've started. Let's, let me grab my trusty phone and let me get you. Uh, we'll be a full service radio station right here, okay? Um, your weather right now. I know Downers Grove. That's where I'm from. It is going to snow today quite a bit. Uh, not for Not a lot, apparently, but for a long time. I'm looking here, it's supposed to snow from noon till 1 in the morning. But right now, it's about 15 degrees, going up to like 27. Later in the week, 44, 48. We could get 50 on Thursday. 
That'd be nice. I'm going to put, put the boat on the lake and, and get at it. Throw the ball around. Speaking, <laughs> yeah, speaking, is, of the boat, right? speaking of the boat, we've got one more pack of, uh, one more four pack of boat show tickets. We just gave our second one away. So anytime you hear the song, come sail away by sticks, be the fifth caller and you'll win a uh, four pack of tickets to the 2018 Progressive Boat RV and Sales Show taking place at McCormick Place South on January 10th through the 14th. For more information, go to chicagoboatshow.com. Don't you dare miss it. The Boat Show. There you go. Now, last night, while the playoffs were going on, you may or may not have watched Chicago Bulls basketball. The night before, the Bulls scored 47 fourth-quarter points and held on to a win and over Dallas, down in Dallas. Yesterday, the Bulls traveled to Indiana, and they played the Pacers. Now, yesterday, Murph came up with this. I guess this was released earlier last week. And this is from Baxter Holmes, the ESPN staff writer. Now, we did it yesterday morning, so if you were listening yesterday morning, you may or may not have heard this. Um, But if you were a gambler and you heard this yesterday morning, and you're not richer today, that's all your fault. It's all on you. Okay, I don't gamble. I don't have a guy. I don't do it on a computer. So, you know, other than fantasy football and fantasy baseball and that stuff, don't gamble. I don't do it. Don't have enough money to do it. Uh, Baxter Holmes, ESPN staff writer. He said, so far, results this season, 19 of 22 correct predictions in which one team in the NBA faced a distinct competitive disadvantage because of the schedule. We are 86.4% successful so far this season. We base our results on games with little or no rest, travel, time zones, etc. Not based on level of competitive balance between the two teams. Now, we began this year, they went back 10 seasons. The results show that teams facing a, quote, schedule alert, schedule alert, a schedule alert situation, which their predictor factor was 8 of 10 or higher. Lose 63% of the time. Now, January 6th, the Bulls at Indiana gave them a 9.5 score out of 10. Red alert, this game actually triggered our third highest score of the entire NBA calendar. The Bulls will have a steep fatigue mountain to climb. This will mark the Bulls' fifth game in seven days. It will also mark their third game in four days, which I thought the NBA was trying to take away but they didn't, apparently. And it will mark the second of a back-to-back set with both games coming on the road. Plus, they'll be crossing a time zone. Not good. So, after facing the Mavericks in Dallas on Friday, the Bulls head out the same night to Indianapolis, losing an hour in the process. They face the Pacers less than 24 hours later, and it's not as if the Pacers need much of an edge here, but they'll enter the game with a two-day rest advantage. So, again, if you heard this yesterday, you're welcome. Okay? I saw Eric yesterday. Uh, he was our producer, Eric Ostrowski, and today. Eric, are you a big gambler? I know you work with a bunch of them. I'm not a huge gambler. <laughs> and if I were, then I know that those are games. There's people that plot those games out before the season. Like, sure. I, we got these 25 games with these red flags. We're gambling. And yeah. it works most yeah. of the time. We could have both gambled everything we possibly own, and we would be much, much richer because we would own twice as much today. Uh, yesterday, the Bulls played the Indiana Pacers. They were down 31-26 at the half. The Bulls then went on and proceeded to score 11 points in the second quarter. So at, at halftime, it was 64 to 37. Final score, 125 to 86. 
the Indiana Pacers led by as many as 41 points. And um, it's weird that you can see this. It's weird that in, it's weird that in the fourth game of a three games and four nights, you're playing a back to back when you're on the road both times. You would think somewhere the schedule makers would be able to figure that out. If you got to play three and four and you're going to play the third one on the road, play the next one at home. At least they'd be able to be home. But going from Dallas to Indianapolis, and again, it's not like you're going cross country. You're in Dallas. It's not a long flight to Indianapolis. You do change time zones. But you look at the performances last night. The Bulls shot 37.5%. Pacers shot 56%. Denzel Valentin, 5 for 10. Chris Dunn, 4 for 10 with 8 assists. Jaron Grant was 0 for 11. 0 for 11. Really? He must have had a really hard flight. Bobby Portis, 4 for 7, 15 points. Nico, just 2 for 4 in 22 minutes. How does Nico put just 4 shots up in 22 minutes? That's not the Nico Meritage we've come to know and not necessarily love. Larry Markinen, 4 for 9, 13 points in 24 minutes. But it was a game they ever never had a chance in based on what we've seen. Okay, based on what Baxter Holmes, the ESPN staff writer, I guess we found out from Nick Friedel yesterday that he is based in Los Angeles. But um, I don't know. Follow Baxter Holmes if you're looking for more of these uh, red alert or schedule alert games in the NBA. Because, uh, that would have been a perfect game to say, you know what? Forget the end, forget the NFL playoff games. Forget college basketball games. I'm going to take my money, uh, my wagering money on Saturday and I'm going to one game in the NBA and putting it all there because, I mean, they have a very, very good success rate. And when you see some of those numbers, you see, uh, fifth game in seven days, three games in four days, back to backs on the road. You know, that Bulls team that a lot of people are happy to see lose because they still have that chance to get that higher draft pick. Um, you know, you can go and, uh, make some cash. You can come and, and there, there are guys that have, there, correct me if I'm wrong, Eric. There's a few guys on the radio station that have commented about making a wager here and there. Yeah, they, they happen to do that once yeah, in a while. Once in a while. Sure. So they, they may actually, you know, make, make a investment here and there. That's always a possibility. We look at the, the standings real quick and we'll get back to some football top of the hour. As I said, we'll preview the Buffalo Jacksonville game. Right now, the Bulls are 14 and 26. They are three games ahead of Atlanta. Atlanta is last in the East at 10 and 28. Uh, the West. You have the Lakers 11 and 27, Memphis at 12 and 27, Dallas 13 and 27. So winning percentage is 325, 342. The Bulls are 350. So the Bulls have two, three, four, five, six teams they're ahead of. Um, that's not good enough if you're trying to tank and get the, uh, number one or number two draft pick. Okay. And there's a good chance with Zach Levine coming back. That Nico could be gone, that Robin Lopez could be gone, and the Bulls could then be really bad the second half of the season. It's been fun watching them since Nico's returned because watching Nico and Larry Markinen get better and Chris Dunn, who last night was four for ten with the eight assists, him get better and learn how to be a point guard in the National Basketball Association. It's been fun watching that. Last night, anything but fun. I uh, got a couple TVs in the basement, so we were watching the football on the one. And on the other one, I just had the Bulls on with the sound down. And my brother goes, they're down by 39. 
I said, yeah, I saw that. And it was very, very bad, uh, from halftime on, if not, if not before that. So, Bulls basketball. And speaking of, uh, local sports, the Blackhawks are back in action tonight. Actually, this afternoon to play Edmonton. And, uh, they lost to the Vegas Golden Knights the other night. Took a 4-3 lead in the game, lose 5-4. to See how things turn out there. More football talk. Playoffs continue. We're talking about it here on ESPN 1000. Chicago's Game Day with Fred Eubner on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. The give to Fournette. He's got some room to the 30. 35 for Leonard Fournette. Into the open field. Leonard Fournette is in the secondary. Leonard Fournette is going to go the distance. Leonard Fournette just answered for the Jaguars. He went 75 yards. First down at the 18, the snap. Here goes Shady up the middle, breaks a tackle at the 10, at the 5, into the end zone. Touchdown! You can't stop LaShawn McCoy today! Touchdown Buffalo from 18 yards out! Ah, building up to a big playoff Sunday as Buffalo and Jacksonville go at it. A noon start Chicago time. Welcome back in. Fred Huebner with you on Chicago's game day till 12 noon. And Buffalo-Jacksonville, the first game. Carolina-New Orleans, the second. We previewed the Saints and Panthers earlier. Now let's take a look at the Bills and the Jaguars. We bring in Mike Rodak from ESPN NFL Nation. He is the Buffalo Bills reporter. Mike, thanks a lot for joining us. How are you? I am doing well. How are you guys? I'm doing well. My first question to you is, where were you in 1999? Is this this doesn't sound bad. I was in second grade. No, no, it, no, it doesn't sound bad. I mean, you're <laughs> was a I long looked, time ago. I saw your picture on Twitter. I knew you were a young reporter. So, as a second grader, were you were you big into the Buffalo Bills? Actually, no. I grew up in Boston, so okay. I was so you're up, a Patriots uh, guy, yeah, right? Patriots, the Pete the Pete Carroll Patriots of the time, the Drew Bledsoe Patriots, and I don't think I even watched the Music City Miracle, but. Here we are, 17 years later, and uh, this place is buzzing today uh, for, for Bills Jaguars, not only for the Bills, but for the Jaguars as well. Obviously, it's been a, a long time coming for them, too, so a lot of excitement in the building today. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about uh, Bills Mafia. You, a lot of times for playoff games, the home team sucks up a lot of the tickets. How's Bills Mafia traveled in this one? Very well. I mean, a lot of people who have been around his team, you know, reporters for the last 20, 25 years, said this is among the uh, the biggest contingent of Bills fans they've seen on the road. And just from judging from my hotel lobby and breakfast this morning and the parking lots and the things I've seen, it definitely seems like there's a huge amount of Bills fans here. Uh, you know, they flew into Jacksonville and Gainesville and Savannah and Orlando and driving in from all these different cities. And um, it's been a long time coming, so everybody wants to be a part of this. And that's, I think, what's driving a lot of this uh, excitement here. It, it almost, it, it, you know, it was almost... Sad because the Bulls get to the playoffs and LaShawn McCoy gets hurt. It's like, uh, oh, really? Our only chance? Well, from all indications, I know I was reading your tweets and I know we heard in the updates that McCoy is active. The question is, with a guy that runs the way he does, and I heard actually LaDainian Tomlinson talking about this last night on the NFL Network, a guy that runs and breaks and twists and turns the way he does, an ankle is a serious injury. How much do you think he's going to be able to contribute today? Uh, I'm not. I want to be t- totally optimistic. If I was a Bills fan on that end, that's exactly what his style is: it's cutting and breaking and planting. And just from judging, you know, by watching him walk around this week, there's definitely still some some issues there, especially earlier on in the week. So, you know, maybe there's a miracle and he comes out and is able to look like himself. But 
when I've seen games from LaShawn McCoy where he's had hamstrings and ankles and, you know, he's tried to go out there and he's a competitor, but you can tell that just wasn't working out. And I think there's a chance that happens today. I don't think there's any chance he was going to be inactive, you know, given this is the first playoff game he's played in in a little while himself and, you know, such a big part of the team. Um, but it's really a matter of how much he's able to really do in the first quarter. I think that's when we'll get an idea of where he's at and then he'll go from there. But I would still expect to see a lot of, uh, of Marcus Murphy in this game, who is their uh, their backup running back there. We have Mike Rodak from ESPN NFL Nation joining us from down in Jacksonville. The Bills taking on the Jaguars at the top of the hour. Uh, Tyrod Taylor, earlier this season, uh, they pulled him. They sat him on the bench and they started Nathan Peterman. Could you just explain what was all that was all about? Uh, Peterman went out through five interceptions in that game. Tyrod Taylor back a week afterwards. What happened there and what were, what was the report or the feeling in Buffalo about them doing that? Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of momentum, I'd say, in Buffalo to move away from Tyrod Taylor, and that still may be true as the season wraps up and they go into the offseason. But at that point in November, he was just coming off a game which he threw for 65 yards against the Saints. And there was very few people in Buffalo who thought that he was the answer long-term, and I think that's still true. But there was a lot of people calling for Nathan Peterman. He had shown some things in the preseason. He had shown some things when he played in that Saints game uh, in the fourth quarter. And uh, I don't think it was the craziest decision on Sean McDermott's part, or at least as it was portrayed nationally. I think timing is a little odd when you're going on the road to play the Chargers and you're trying to still keep your playoff hopes alive. I think he could have waited a few more weeks, but, um, you know, they rebounded from it. And that's that's really what matters right now is I think the locker room took it in stride. I think there was a chance there maybe the veterans could have checked out and uh, turned against their coach. That did not happen at all. And then Tyrod Taylor came back and he played well enough over the final five, six games to put them in this spot. And, you know, they still got some luck, obviously, with the Bengals and the, the Ravens finish right. on fourth and 12. But, um, you know, is it enough right now for Tyrod Taylor to stick around next season? I'm not sure. I'm not convinced yet. I think there's still a very good chance that he's not their quarterback next year. But he at least did rebound from that benching, that whole situation, and the team rebounded to, to be where they are now. Me, along with a lot of other uh, football fans, I think have really uh, – you know, hopped on the Buffalo Bills bandwagon just this week after seeing the whole Kyle Williams thing of him scoring a touchdown and him holding his kids in the locker room and, and them watching the game and then winning the game, you know, Cincinnati winning and all that stuff. Has it been as big in Buffalo as it been around the rest of the country? Definitely. I mean, it's been, they had fans, a couple hundred fans at the airport on Sunday night when they landed from Miami, which you don't really see anywhere else. Of yeah. course, it's more routine in other places, you know, for teams making playoffs and, this is such a release of emotion after 17 years where I think fans wanted to be there and wanted to be a part of it. Um, but yeah, the entire week has just been, you know, everybody's talking about it. Everybody wants to find out how to get to the game, you know, trying to find tickets and trying to fly down here to Jacksonville. And, um, it's a long time coming and, you know, it's, uh, you know, either way, I think win or lose, I think Bill's fans are going to be happy that they're just back in the playoffs and a certain level of respect has returned to this franchise. The Chicago Bears realized they didn't want Deontay Thompson anymore. The Buffalo Bills were pretty quick to react, and he's got 27 catches for 430 yards. He apparently has fit in pretty well. He has, and he's been their deep threat because they don't really have one. Um, otherwise, between Kelvin Benjamin is more, you can throw the ball up to him, but he's not a speed guy. And then you have Zay Jones, who's more of a possession receiver, the, the second-round rookie, who's been pretty disappointing. So Deontay Thompson has essentially been their top receiver the last four or five weeks. Uh, especially as Kelvin Benjamin has been dealing with that knee injury. 
And assuming that Thompson is fully healthy today and he's still dealing with the shoulder himself, I think he could be in line for a, a decent day um, just because of what you know they don't have on offense with the running game. I think it's, it's more of a game where Tyrod Taylor needs to win the game through the air, and I would expect him to take a few shots deep to Deontay Thompson. You look on the other side of the ball for Jacksonville, and they see Marcel Darius, a guy they know. How's that going to be going up against him? Yeah, I mean, a couple guys there, Eric Wood, Richie Incognito, played with him for a few years, and um, a certain level of, uh, you know, friendship from being teammates, but also, you know, he left and uh, is no longer with them, and I think they, they want to go out there and beat him, too. So, um, look, I mean, Marcel, I think, has done well in Jacksonville. I don't think he was really going to fit in this this uh, culture in Buffalo, uh, just given just who he is from a you know, character standpoint and right. what Sean McDermott looks for. And I think that was not a good fit. Um but the Bills' run defense has suffered without him. You know, they basically have ranked last in the league since they traded him. So, um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see if, if the Bills can get their running game going against Darius and if the, uh, the Bills' run defense can stop Leonard Fournette. It's funny because one of the guys you mentioned uh, when you talk about, you know, I don't know, disruptive players or guys that, you know, had a rough career and the way they acted and it was Richie Incognito and now he is there he is being a key factor for this Buffalo Bills team how have things worked with him he's been relatively quiet since he's gotten up there and I guess that's a good thing for the Bills organization yeah he's definitely I don't want to say he's a changed man but I think he realizes you know what he can say and how he can act and where the line is um you know he's just kind of a he's a sort of a you know chop buster by nature yeah. that's the word and um you know he's that's I don't think he's ever going to change in that sense, but I think he's figured out how to extend his career and how to, you know, be a part of the locker room in a good way. And um, look, he's, he's 34, going on 35, and he's still playing at a Pro Bowl level. He's a Pro Bowler this year, and uh, this is actually his first winning season in the NFL. And all, I think it's been 13 years for him now. It's the first time he's had a winning season, first playoff game for him. So you can expect him to, you know, be pretty stoked today. Yeah, no, there's no doubt between him and Kyle Williams and all the other first timers are going to be pumped. It'll be, it'll be fun to see how things play out. Mike, I know it's a busy time for you, the playoff game. I appreciate you jumping out for a few minutes. You got it. Thanks for having me on. Thanks. Mike Rodak from ESPN NFL Nation. The Bills getting ready to play the Jacksonville Jaguars. And again, if you have not seen, uh, the whole thing, and I think if you're a football fan, you probably did, but just seeing that Bills locker room after their game last week, them sitting around and waiting to see the Cincinnati Bengals try to knock off the Baltimore Ravens. And the Ravens get a field goal and all of a sudden they're up and, you know, there's some, uh, some, upset players and they're sitting around they're watching and they're in the locker room and they're watching and next thing you know there's Andy Dalton he drops back and hits Terrence Boyd for a touchdown and the Buffalo Bills locker room went absolutely crazy that meant that the Buffalo Bills were going to the playoffs for the first time since 1999 Mike was in second grade uh Eric uh, where were you, uh, 1999? 99, I was 11, so that, what grade would that be? That's, Let's see. Fourth grade? Somewhere around there. Fourth grade, fifth grade, yep. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, this is Pinebrook's class. Thank you, Mrs. Pinebrook. There you go. So, yeah, I, and that's one of the, that's one of the cool things. I mean, I'm an old timer, so I, I remember the Music City Miracle, and I remember the Buffalo Bills being in the playoffs, and, you know, one of the guys that 
uh, is going to be talked to, I think, for coaching jobs is Frank Reich, the offensive coordinator for Philadelphia. And I remember the, you know, him with a big, huge comeback, um, playing for Buffalo. So yeah, it, it's nice to see these things all come around. And I think that's the one thing. If you're a football fan, I mean, I don't remember dates. There was a thing earlier this week. If you listen to, uh, Golick and Wingo, the new morning show, uh, from five until nine each and every Monday through Friday, they did a whole thing the other day about the, the party trick that uh, Trey Wingo has, where he knows every Super Bowl score, the winning, you know, the two teams, the score, um, and also the MVP. And Golik quizzed them, and he knows each and every one of them. Well, I've seen each and every one of them, but I can't remember, you know. Five, five was Baltimore and the Jets. Uh, 19 I was at, so that was Miami and San Francisco, and 20 was the Bears. But you start getting up to the 36. Oh, 36, 42, I have no idea. And, uh, now you got 52 coming up this year. The L with the two, with the two ones. And it's funny, cause two years ago, remember, they didn't, they didn't use the L. Right, they wouldn't make any hats with a giant L on yeah. it. They refused to do that, which yeah. is funny. I kind of thought that would have been cool. You know, a lot of my sometimes I just hold the L up to my head. My wife's just exactly loser. now you loser. don't even need to hold your hand up. Exactly. It's doing it for you would have been absolutely perfect. But yeah, yeah. So a big day of NFL today as the Bills take on the Jacksonville Jaguars. And you heard in that first highlight, uh, Leonard Fournette and Fournette is a guy. I don't know if you remember in the preseason, he was talking about how easy this was. He thought the NFL was going to be a little tougher. He, he says, man, this is, this is just easy stuff. Fournette rushed for a thousand forty yards. Uh, Blake Bortles, a guy that, uh, for many, many, you know, for several years had been, ah, the Jaguars are coming. Bortles is going to be good. People didn't believe in him. Oh, he does, he has thrown five interceptions in his last two weeks. No touchdowns, five interceptions in the fourth quarter of one score games this year. So if the game's close, Blake Bortles